I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom, part of the Gunner Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnerGeekNetwork.com. Welcome to episode 254 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we decide to start a brand new podcast network. In this week's Better Podcasting Download, we get audacious. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we highlight a bevy of listener comments and questions. Lauren, start the show now. Welcome to Better Podcasting. With a combined history of over a thousand episodes and starting as early as 2008, we are hobby podcasters through and through just like you. That's why we are different. We minimize the money talk so that you can focus on building a better podcast. Here are the hosts for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer. Welcome to episode 254 of Better Podcasting. I am Stephen and with me, of course, is the fantastic back from a relaxing vacation, SP. It's so good to be back in the studio. You know why? Because that relaxing vacation that you were just talking about was just a long list of to-do items. I had to do car maintenance, boat maintenance. I had to put together a parade float. It was wall-to-wall activity. And let's not even mention the despicable state of the United States interstate system. Can I just say, by the way, I saw the pictures, and I'm not going to let you go. You talked about your parade, your boat parade there. I saw the pictures of your boat parade, and I got to say, I was honored that your theme was Stephen John Drew. That was an impressive theme. I thought you guys did a bang-up job. Thank you very much for that. I don't think that you understood what the intent of the Olympic float was, but because my brother-in-law is, I I will say half Canadian now because he's a naturalized United States citizen, but because he is a half Canadian, the boat was dual flagged as United States and Canada. So there was a Canada flag on board. So you got to go back to the pictures and see if you can find the Canadian flag. Awesome. All right. Well, if you have just started checking out Better Podcasting, we would like to let you know that at the beginning of the show, From time to time, we do a thing called a How I Saved My Podcast Story. This is where we encourage you to send in a story to us about what went wrong with your podcast and what you did to fix it or how you handled the situation. And I'm going to just throw one out here right here and right now is a couple weeks ago, we actually canceled the official Gonna Geek show because if you listen to Better Podcasting live chat, the most recent episode of our companion podcast, Uh, We talked about how hot things were suddenly on the West here uh, where I reside. And we were afraid of damaging gear and things like that because it gets toasty in my studio space during regular summer weather. And this was quite extreme summer weather for where I live. And so we talked about it. We made the decision to cancel and postpone, uh, basically, just skip that week of the official Gunna Geek show And while that means the listeners didn't get an episode, what we did was we canvassed the social media and we made sure that we communicated to everybody about that cancellation that we could manage to reach through that. And it was just a decision we had to make based off of circumstances that came up. And quite honestly, because we have a video companion to the show, I don't think anybody wanted to see me sweating in a 40 degree Celsius studio. I certainly did not because you were threatening to take off your shirt. Nobody (laughs) wants to see that. I also have a quick how I saved my podcast story. So last week, as Stephen mentioned, I was on vacation. I was gone last weekend. This was the last podcast I recorded, which was last week's Better Podcasting Live Chat, which we had a truncated podcast to save Stephen's gear. And uh, I actually had a recording uh, two days later with Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. over the low-key season one episode three or episode four and i was going to be able to record i decided i'm going on vacation i'm not going to record so how i saved it is i brought in a ringer i bought brought in chris from the get a geek show and paired him up with michelle it was a rehash of the starling tribune whenever i was gone the two of them handled it great i edited it when i got back and i put it out and published it and it is out there now so that is how i saved my podcast by not being 
on my podcast and still got a podcast out for those week to week listeners and watchers of Loki that wanted to know what we thought of the episode. So that was all cool there. You could do one or the other. You could cancel your show. You can get somebody to come in and sub. You could pre-record, which I couldn't do with Loki. You could get one out late. You can combine it with the next show. I mean, there's tons of stuff to do, but this is just two ways we did to handle our situations. So if you have a How I Save My Podcast story, we would love if you would send it to us to podcast at betterpodcasting.com. If you can, send a video file along there because we do have a video companion to this show and we would love to have that on there. And when you send us that in whatever form, make sure you include the name of your podcast because we're happy to give away a bit of free promotion there to you. Oh yeah, we want to make sure that we give all the credit to you for sharing your story. If you've listened for any more than a few seconds of any episode of Better Podcasting, you've probably heard something that we are part of the Gunna Geek Podcast Network. In its basic form, podcast networks are basically an affiliation of podcasts, which are there to, on some level, help promote each other. Over the years of doing Better Podcasts, we've had the question constantly come up about podcast networks and also the whole concept of what it takes to start a podcast network or what you should consider when you join a podcast network. And so today, we want to cover podcast networks, primarily, though, from the idea of running a podcast network. However, as you might expect with podcast networks, we'll touch on some areas throughout this that you could probably also apply when you're considering being a part of podcast networks. And today we're going to talk specifically about the concept of running a network with others, not you basically creating a, quote, network for your own individual podcast. Some things might apply for that situation, but we're talking today about the concept of many independent podcasts coming together for a hobby podcast network. SP, why might someone start a podcast network? Well... Why would somebody want to start a network? And then why would podcasts want to be part of a podcast network? Both of these are important questions to answer before you embark on creating a podcast network to help maximize your chance of success. So ask yourself the question, why do you want to start a podcast network? Like with your podcast, it's important that you identify a goal for the podcast network as it will help shape its direction in the future and then everything that you do. Are you looking to connect and collaborate with like-minded individuals, or are you hoping to do something more, such as drive promotion between the shows? Both of these are real possibilities, but there are many more primary drivers, but for our purposes of targeting hobby podcasters, those are the two primary drivers that we're going to focus on today. Yes, to be clear, you've been warned. As usual, we will not be covering the monetization side of things when it comes to podcast networks. However, we do recognize that monetization is another main reason for a podcast network. It's just not a driving factor behind Better Podcasting's coverage of hobby podcasting in general. So we're just not going to cover it when it comes to starting a podcast network. As mentioned, we're also sure there might be other reasons that hobbyists might think about having a podcast network, but we think these are probably the two focal ones, collaboration and promotion, and both are great, but each will help shape your network very differently. Let's give you a couple examples. If you are looking to cross-promote with others, then you're going to need to make the backbone of your network have some method of achieving this. Whenever you build anything from your network, you want to consider how you're going to leverage it to cross-promote with others. We'll talk a little bit more about this later. On the flip side, if you're mostly targeting collaboration and connecting with people, then cross-promotion is a secondary thought, and instead you'll need to focus on your network in a manner that maximizes communication and community building. In that light, everything that you add needs to enhance the community. But it's important that you're honest with yourself up front on the reason why you want to build a network. If you are unsure if you want to do to build the network, well, we'll make this episode easy for you. Don't do it. Seriously, 
Do not do it. Do not start a podcast network if you can't answer that question. Running a network is not the easiest thing in the world. And at times it'll shift that scale away from the fun aspect that we associate with hobby podcasting here on this show. You hear us say it at least once an episode. If you are unsure why you want to build a network and what benefit you want out of it, you are taking on extra work for your hobby that you don't need and you probably don't have time for. So just don't do it until you've determined the answers to the question of why you want to start the podcast network. So moving on from that, let's say that you have answered that question and you've decided that you do have a good reason that you want to build a network. Where do you begin? Get ready to go back to the basics of podcasting because starting a network is actually a lot like starting a podcast. There are many things that you have to do in order to lay the groundwork that you'll be able to build on for your main infrastructure of your podcast network. What's the theme of your network going to be? What's the name going to be? What sort of web presence are you going to have at what level? Who is going to create the graphics for your network? What sort of audio work do you need to have done, like intros or pre-rolls or outros or promos? Do you need to register a domain name for your podcast network? Who can you confide in to run by some of these ideas that you have to the answers to these questions? Yes, a podcast consultant might seem like a good idea for this, but you should really think about that before you approach a consultant for this purpose. Will the consultant really be thinking about the terms of a hobbyist and how that applies to podcasting? How much is the consultant going to charge you and what's your return on investment going to be? Will the consultant have your best interests in mind or will you have to have them sign like a non-disclosure agreement or possibly a non-compete clause in order to protect yourself as you're running these ideas by them? See, it's not as simple as you might first think with starting a podcast network. But a lot of the answers to these questions are similar to when you're going through that idea about starting your first podcast. We would suggest, though, you create a plan and a timeline for this plan on how you're going to get the network started. As usual, we would recommend that you set goals for each of these steps. Break it down. But look beyond the launching of your network as well. What sort of rate do you hope to add shows to the network? And be realistic with these goals as you're establishing that. You probably want to put out that growth after initial launch to a fairly distant point of time so that you have time to gauge the growth of your show and evaluate what it's going to take to achieve those goals because there's going to be a certain level that you're not going to know until you get things started. So definitely be realistic with your goals. As you set these timelines, we'd suggest starting with a small group of podcasts initially. This will make it a lot easier to manage the plan, but further, you can use that group to help leverage the long-term vision of the podcast network. For example, it's a lot easier to correct things that go wrong with a few podcasts than it is a large number of podcasts on your network. It's like you have a large train full of coal, you're trying to change directions on the track, and the less cars you have full of coal is makes the train a little bit more steerable around that bend. That's basically what we're saying. Additionally, if you start with a few podcasts, likely everyone will be excited to see things grow and maybe they can help in some areas and that might affect your long-term growth plan. Oftentimes, this core group of podcasters can become your core group of network administrative staff as well. And in the early stages, you want to have a manageable team and not too large of a group. Often teams get better results with as many as five to seven individuals in the team, if not less. So we're talking less than seven individuals on the team. That's a high-powered teaming uh, limit that's been tried, true, and tested. So try not to exceed that amount as you start your initial planning. Of course, as you start your network, you need to consider the legalities as well. How are you going to secure your network as your property as you bring on other shows? And what legalities do you have to consider by associating yourself with these other shows? As we always state, we are not lawyers, but and if you need to consult an attorney, we recommend that you do. But some considerations that we would state you should have up front is money. I know we said we're not going to talk about revenue, but even as you're starting a hobby podcast, 
you should think about everything considered from a money perspective. And that applies to a hobby podcast network as well. So who is putting out the cost for the network? How are they being afforded? If folks on your network are making money, how does it affect the network? Are they expected to chip in if they're benefiting? If so, how does that affect network ownership? Again, money needs to be considered on some level, even if you're not making money on the network. As well, what is the plan to remove a member from the network? And how do you ensure network members know that they can remove? It's important that they know who has this control. Do they get to perpetually be on the network no matter what they do? Or if the network owner says you're off and that's it, they're off. And that is a pre-agreed terms of service that they have to agree to. These are the legalities that you need to figure out before you actually launch your network. We'd also suggest that you establish a standard onboarding procedure for the network. This is something that we have worked on quite a bit in the past few years on the Gunna Geek Network. So what is it going to look like when you bring another podcast on? Is your network open application or are you seeking out the podcast like a talent agent or are they applying to be on the network? If it's open applications, we'd recommend that you lay out upfront an overview of the network and what applicants can expect to get from the network. So what's in it for them? There are a lot of people who don't put a lot of effort into searching for networks to apply to. And so you can help weed out some of these folks who aren't a fit for your network by laying this out up front. For example, the primary goal of the network that we spoke about earlier, is it collaboration? Is it community building? Is it cross promotion? Those are the things that you need to state in the application just so that new podcasts know what they're getting into. Additionally, we would suggest that you put a test question in the application. Perhaps it's as simple as asking why they think they'd be a good fit for your network. Now, in the early days of the Gunna Geek Network, we had a lot of non-geeky related podcasts apply to our network. Eventually, we added the question in of what do you think you're going to get from the network into the application and help highlight those podcasts who are blindly applying. Just they wanted to be part of a network because they heard being a part of the network would increase their chances of growth. And there is some truth to that. There is some reality to that, but it is not, should not be your primary drive to join a network, which you are probably going to be affiliated with for a very long time. But Stephen, what are other considerations that you might have with the onboarding process? Well, first off, how are you going to evaluate if the show that is potentially joining your network is the right fit for your network? What is the criteria going to be and how are you going to size that up? What will it look like when you bring on a podcast to the network? Like, what are you going to need from them? Are you going to need artwork? Are you going to need RSS feed locations? Are you going to need their social media accounts? These are things that you have to consider and create an uh, established plan of what you're going to need from these podcasts. How will you discuss these things with them? Are you going to communicate uh, largely by email or are you going to communicate elsewise? Are you going to have just one point of contact identified for each show or do you want to ensure that the entire podcast team is being included in the communications. It might sound simpler to do it with just one point of contact, but maybe there's a redundancy factor by including everybody in there, or it might help include everybody on the podcast by communicating with everybody. So you got to weigh this out. Could there be a prioritization with streamlining communications? And that might be leaning more towards doing just one person with that podcast. Again, you have to consider what are the pros and the cons. Personally, we would suggest doing a combination of written and personal communication, no matter what the answer is on whether you're talking with one person or many people. For example, maybe you do a voice call to really get through the meat of everything, but also put in writing the basic expectations through email. This is because we find that emails can be very dry. So if there's some very specific things that you need to make sure are clear, clearly out there, send them by email, but maybe also schedule a voice call so you can go through all of the other things and really help build that relationship. 
taking the time to do a voice chat or in today's world, a video chat really can help build that relationship from the start and get things going by hitting the ground running. Essentially, you should be thinking about what the plan is going to be when you bring somebody into the podcast network. How is this going to happen? What sort of details are you going to need from them? And what sort of details do you need to communicate to them? And the next thing that we're going to want to briefly talk about is network upkeep or maintenance. Once you have your network started, it's definitely not going to be a set it and forget it sort of thing. If you do this, your network is going to stall, relationships are going to fade, and members will likely exit, sometimes without even discussing it with you. And if you're not paying attention, you might not even notice they're gone for months or a year. Aside from the technical management, like onboarding people that we just spoke about, you'll need to consider such things as how you can best keep communications going behind the scene. It's likely you'll have people on your network across many time zones, and you'll need to consider how this is going to play into ongoing discussions. Uh, first thing, where is your online presence going to be behind the scenes? Do you need to start something like a Discord server, or, or, or what is going to be the best communication method for your users? Uh, there's many different options out there. Slack, Microsoft Teams now is a considerable option. Maybe a private social media group if you're all congregated into the same social media. Or whatever you decide on will never be a primary communication hub for everyone on the network if you're big enough. But to gain the best success, the majority of network members will need to be active in the main communications hub wherever you decide that's going to be, whether it's Discord, Slack, social media, Microsoft Teams, any sort of teaming communication. It doesn't really matter what it is. The majority of people on the network have to be on that. So maybe that's a survey that you need to do with all the network members to make sure. And this is something that's going to require maintenance over time because methods of communications come and go or people's preference on using them come and go when new technology is available. So what works for you in the end will vary from network to network. We're not going to put our foot down and say, hey, we use the Discord server, so that's what everybody should use. No, whatever works for you and your team is going to be what you should use. But it goes beyond opening up the lines of communication. You need to consider how you can keep the conversation moving. This is really hard, and it's some, something that really takes a lot of active effort. You need to ask specific questions about the network and, and can it be one way or maybe you can start communication about specific podcasts rotating through different members. Now, in our experience, podcast members regularly interacting is a huge factor when it comes to building a network. You help everyone build trust with each other and that can yield some pretty good ideas and help support the network. And if you have a network like Gonna Geek where all the shows are genre related, then you can have inherent cross promotion when people have to go on vacation, for instance, and need somebody to come in and sub for you, that sort of thing. I, I've done, we've done it for years on the Gonna Geek network. This can be something that you can do on your network as well, but it only works if everybody's on uh, similar communication protocols, they can connect the same way and they know each other to the point where they might listen to each other's shows and know each other, how they respond to different situations or what their knowledge of the material really is. So this is something that you build with communication over time and interaction over time. You also need to think a little bit about the podcast promotion side of things, especially if that's going to be one of the big drivers of your network. What is going to be built to help achieve those promotions? Is it things simply like doing guest appearances between the network members, or is it more concrete, like you have some background spreadsheets or background utilities where people can offer promotions for each other and help promote each other's shows? What is going to be the foundation of that? If you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, I'll just develop a tool or a method that everybody can just drop promotions in for each other. Well, you got to think again about what we just mentioned, which is the community aspect, because you have to build that trust for people to really buy into the podcast promotion idea. If you don't end up doing that, then what's going to happen is you're going to find some people are going to be committed to the promotion ideas. Some people won't. Some people will be promoting more than others, and some might just not even participate at all. So you got to get everybody to have a level of trust so that they want to help promote their fellow network members. 
you're taking a little bit of time on each person's show to promote another show. So you want to consider this if you're going to have promotions being a large driver of your network. Yeah, and then Get a Geek Show, one of the th- or the Get a Geek Network, one of the things we do is the pre-roll before that. You don't have to do a pre-roll. You can do a post-roll. You could do a mid-roll of commercial. There's a, just a variety of different ways that you can promote other shows on the network. You can highlight a show on the network each week, that sort of thing. There's just a variety of things that you can do, but this is something you're going to have to consider as you move forward. Now, if you are able to try to bring some people on to help maintain the network, we talked about that high powered team to start the network. Well, this is where your team can get a little bit bigger because you have set jobs that you need to do to maintain the network. And when you do bring on other people, try to play each person's strengths to help support the network. Is there somebody really into following the latest developments in the genre of your network? Maybe they can help build a community engagement about the topic and help spur some conversation and even subject matter for all the shows is there somebody that's really good at creating audio maybe they can help out creating things like network intros promos maybe you need somebody to come in and be a specialist to do an intro for the actual podcast like teach somebody how to do an intro that would be a great job for somebody to have on the network kind of like an associate producer for all the shows Do you need a moderator or moderators for your network community? Now, if your driving factor is community for your network, I guarantee you're going to need a moderator. And I guarantee you, if you are the one considering to be the network owner, you're not going to have time to moderate everything. So having a moderator or moderating team is going to be of paramount interest to you. So maybe it could be somebody from one of the other podcasts on your network. Remember, most network owners are also podcasters themselves. So doing it all by yourself, if you're the network owner in your spare time, as most hobbyists do while maintaining your podcast creation activities, can lean out to significant burnout really quick, which will have a negative effect on the network sooner rather than later. So take advantage of engaged network members to distribute the staffing and administrative load. It's going to be difficult to trust some others. But ultimately, that's what one of your network's goals are. Otherwise, you wouldn't be considering the network in the first place, right? And yes, trust in others is a very, very large separate topic. So let us know if you'd like for us to cover that in a future episode. It's really too large to cover it in the confines of this specific episode. So if you do want us to cover it in a future episode, let us know and we will. For now, we'll just leave it at needing to trust others in order to have your hobby podcast network. You're going to need a staff and you're going to need to trust others. Now, ultimately, network upkeep is going to be one of the most fluid aspects of your podcast network. This is because things are constantly evolving with network management and the management that your network needs. You need to be able to recognize an opportunity, create and execute a plan to help that opportunity flourish. It could be something like identifying an opportunity for shows to collaborate, or it could be something not so fun, like needing to get someone off the network. And trust me, those conversations aren't fun to have at all. And even though I don't think we've ever really done that on the Guinea Geek Network, I can just shudder at the possibility of having to kick somebody off. So moving on to our next section here, we want to talk a little bit about support tools for podcast networks, specifically the fact that this is evolving very fast. Back when the Gunna Geek Network was started, there were very few, if any, out-of-the-box opportunities and options for us to use to help manage the network. The Gunna Geek Network had a bunch of random custom code in that I put in because there wasn't very easy solutions available to be used. However, like other areas of podcasting, this is evolving rapidly, and there are becoming simpler solutions for people who do want to embark on running a podcast network. For example, there are now website themes that cater specifically to podcast networks. A front runner for WordPress that we like is Bolden by Second Line Themes. These themes, like this one that we're talking about, that we I mentioned it because we've reviewed it on this podcast before, they do help make things easier for podcast networks. Specifically, the one I'm referencing right now has the ability to go in and add individual shows and artwork and subscribe links 
and host information. Basically, the theme has been designed around the idea of what does a podcast network need to display? And there are other themes as well. Additionally, there are features being rolled out to cater to podcast networks. For example, PowerPress. Again, a WordPress plugin that has long been used for people who are putting their podcast on WordPress. They recently added features for podcast networks. Some media hosts are starting to recognize the need for podcast networks. And an example of this is the Pinecast media host has an add-on called the quote, crew add-on, end quote, which is where you can have an account specify the ability to add other collaborators to access the podcast and create networks that are hosted on Pinecast so that you can have multiple podcasts together and basically combine show analysts uh, analytics and look at other information from the idea of a podcast network. Now, this specific example here might not be something that most hobby podcast networks want to do because probably everyone wants to keep things individually, but we wanted to mention it because it shows that the concept of a podcast network is getting on the radar of different areas of the podcast industry. And depending on your idea of show ownership in your network, using a podcast media provider service that caters to multiple accounts within the hierarchies might be what you need for your podcast network endeavors. However, most of these solutions are designed with the idea of monetization in mind and maybe don't cater the best towards the hobby podcast network. However, the current era of podcast networks also offers some challenges. And the main one we want to focus on is SEO, and that's search engine optimization. Back in the day, Having your podcast on any other website was generally pretty good, and arguably it was good for SEO if those listings funneled traffic back to your main site. However, there is a current consideration that podcast networks face, and that's with podcast discovery. If you are going to have a podcast network, it's important that the site clearly has a way for people to see the latest episodes and funnels correctly to the primary source. This is because somebody might happen to come along the network, and if the network page doesn't have all the latest episodes, they might think the show has stopped producing episodes. They might not even realize the network page isn't the show's homepage. Additionally, there is the consideration of podcast directories, and their indexing of podcast feeds. Specifically, we're calling you out, Google Podcasts. It's important that the network page does everything it can to add the proper metadata to point the to the individual podcast website if they have one. You want to make sure that you're not doubling up the shows when Google comes crawling through your network page. That's a technical term, by the way, crawling on the network page. It's a search thing that Google does, especially if there is an RSS feed generated on your podcast network page. We talked about it before on this show. Steven's been very frustrated about it because of the multiple Google podcasts that seem to pop up, or on the worst side, the fact that the wrong RSS feed is indexed by Google. This is an area that's probably also going to evolve rapidly as the process for indexing podcasts is evolving. So you'll definitely want to keep an eye out on the latest trends. And if something like Google podcasts comes along, Make sure that you take the appropriate actions required or you're going to dork up maybe not your podcast, but another podcast on the network. The final point that we want to cover today is to recommend that you periodically evaluate where your podcast network is currently at. As with podcasts, networks take time to stabilize. So making a change every week probably isn't going to provide your shows with the best results. Taking a shorter look, though, at the network, say maybe every three months or so, might provide you a larger chunk of time to see if what you're doing is working or if it's not, and you can make course corrections as such. The process that you use is really up to you since the situation is likely to be different with different personalities and different networks. But after you do evaluate your network, you want to make sure that you communicate these decisions to the entire network members. Ideas really can come from the oddest of places. 
or maybe from members that you don't expect them to come from. So look out for these ideas and think about whether they are going to be helpful for your network. Now, if one of the ideas ends up being the idea of disbanding the network might come up, make sure that you think this fully through and put a plan in place on how to sunset the network as likely the shows that you have on the network will probably persist after the network and will continue once the, sh the network does shut down. So what does that all look like? But really, the main point of this whole section is to undergo periodic evaluation so that you can make a plan for your network to keep the development going and make sure that you do exercise that plan when it comes time. In summary, podcast network creation isn't easy. It really isn't. There are many steps involved, and arguably at times it's harder than running a podcast itself. It's also an ongoing project that is ever-evolving and something that you need to make sure you are maintaining to help meet the common goal of your podcast or your podcasts on the network. You need to define that common goal up front, and you need to consider this goal as you work through the decision tree through the development and ongoing maintenance of your podcast. And we know that there are listeners to Better Podcasting that actually have their own podcast networks. And if you have any tips or tricks that we didn't cover, we would love your feedback. So you can get us at podcast at betterpodcasting.com. Send us in a video clip. That would be great. So we can play it on a future show. You can also tweet us at betterpod or come to our Discord server at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord and talk about your experiences in podcast network creation or maintaining in the Better Podcasting channel. This is the Better Podcasting Download. Oh, it was an interesting week. <laughs> Back oh, in and we're not talking about connect. Canada Day and uh, the 4th of July. No, it wasn't. Uh, a few episodes back, I think it was maybe episode 250 of Better Podcasting, we talked about how Audacity had been purchased by a company. And we had questions about that because it was open source. But we speculated and, and we didn't know what was happening, but we knew the name was bought. And, and we thought, well, we'll just wait and see what happens. Well, it appears that changes are happening because this past weekend, uh, we are recording this today, on July 6th, 2021. And this past weekend, there was a post that got quite a bit of attention on fosspost.org. And it was titled, Audacity is now a possible spyware. Remove it ASAP. That was the, the, the title. So here's the thing. Obviously, you can make your own speculation based off of that title. You can maybe guess what sort of tone the post is going to have. But the bottom line is that the post highlighted a bunch of terms of service changes in there that put a bunch of question marks to the concept of Audacity, especially being that Audacity is still technically being released under, I believe, what is the, called the GPL uh, open source license. There was a bunch of questions marks in there about data that was possibly being collected very I think when you break it down, I think it's fair to say largely minimal, but still some things that you you might question why they're collecting that. Um, there is information about where the data was going, about certain retention periods. There was a whole bunch of question marks that came up with this, specifically from the concept of it being quietly rolled out. Now, this sounds very familiar because this is not the first time that we've seen this happen with podcasting services, just a quiet terms of service change. And as people do, people see these things, especially with something like Audacity, because we here on Better Podcasting use it synonymously with podcasting. But there are so many other uses for Audacity than just podcasting. So lots of people noticed and lots of people questioned this. And, and there was a bit of a follow-up that came out today about this on Audacity's GitHub page. And it talked about some of the reasons why they thought that this terms of service change was needed. And they tried to explain it away, again, in a very similar manner to things that we've seen in the network or in podcasting before. And to be honest, in my opinion, it had almost like a, oh, we got caught sort of vibe to it. But that's just my opinion. So if you want to go ahead and check out all of these details, 
We will make sure that we put the link to both of these posts in the document so that we can so that you can see this. If you go to betterpodcasting.com, we'll have both links for the download in here that we're referring to and you can read through and make your own guesses and things like like that. But here's what I I, I want to mention. Um want to round up a couple posts, a couple comments that were made on today's clarification because I think they bring up some good questions. But also, I do want to mention, uh, back when this whole thing came out about it being purchased, we did speculate that you might see what's called a fork. A fork in Audacity. When you have an open source project that's released under certain terms, anybody can go and take that and basically shift it off to its own version. And I kind of explained that previously. And it's beginning. Uh, we've seen this happen. Now, will those sustain? We don't know. But that is something that you might want to be aware of because while these projects likely won't, I, I don't believe they can use the Audacity name because technically that's owned now, um, you might see something else come out um, and maybe that becomes the go-to. But here's a couple of questions that were asked on today's clarification. Uh, there was somebody called Magic 21 that had referred to the fact that uh, error reporting was cited as one of the reasons for all of this, this logging. Uh, why is logging IPs for 24 hours a requirement? For how long is the operating system version logged? You do not mention how long the data is kept, which looks like mandatory telemetry. What does the operating system version string contain? For example, on Linux, is automatic updating opt-in, opt-out enforced as a pop-up on the first launch? when installed through a package manager, hence not requiring automatic updates through conventional channel, will Audacity initiate any connection to your servers? And this is a lot of technical stuff, but the reason I wanted to bring this one up here is because I think that this post here kind of highlights a little bit about um, the reasons that were given for these terms of service changes kind of mismatch with how Audacity is technically distributed. It's almost talking from the perspective of company releases software in closed format gives you a file to install to your computer. That was sort of how some of these terms of services were treat, uh, treated. This kind of highlights through all of this technical jargon that, wait a minute, Audacity can be installed through other ways. And why is all of these things required? So uh, essentially, there's some good questions in there that should be answered. And um, the other one that I want to mention right now uh, was that in the terms of service changes, they also put a reference in there about being a certain age to use the software. I want to say it was something like 12. It's 13. 13, thank you. And there was AJ Jackson 5 that says, I don't see any comment here on the age restriction, which is really the most absurd part. And the reason why this is, is because again, that license, that Audacity is technically released under, according to what I read, and I haven't verified this, but according to multiple things that multiple people that I read on all of these different speculations that the license that Audacity is released at, uh, under, the whole general conditions of that, I think it's called GPL, like, like it's an established standard, it says that you can't restrict ages. Like it has to be released without restriction. So I think that that also kind of maybe highlighted that these changes that were being made to Audacity may not have been fully thought of, thought through. Maybe it was something they tried to cover their own base for some reason, depending on where they're based out of. But I think there's a lot of questions to be had. I know our Discord server had a lot of people asking questions about this. This is definitely something you're going to want to keep an eye on. And I, I hate to say it, SP, but the blab joke might need to end for better podcasting because this might be the bigger joke when we refer back to dated content on better podcasting. Audacity might might hugely overshadow the, the references we used to make to blab. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that, because if there is a legitimate fork that goes out that is sustainable and that is accepted by the community, then I think the intent of the software will live on. It is still a destructive editor, and I would recommend, even though it's free and, and we've recommended because of that, GarageBand is up there, too, because it's free. 
that uh, a non-destructive editor might be better for you. Uh, we were talking about uh, the the things that were going back and forth in our Discord server. Uh, Reaper comes up quite a bit. Uh, we we've been talking about Hindenburg journalists. We've been talking about uh, uh, just various different uh, audio uh, digital audio workstations, uh, DAWs, which is what Audacity is. And and you're right, Audacity is used more than the podcast community. One of the things I think Audacity is used on is the academic uh, area, the academic um, arena where uh, grade school kids are using it. So that gets me scratching my head over the 13 rule because, yeah, you, you know, you, you get young kids that are learning how audio works and why not have them mess around with Audacity unless they're on a tablet sort of thing. Uh, so there's just a lot of different considerations here. And, and the fact that these terms of services were quietly released and expected to go under the radar, so to speak, I think speaks to how Muse is going to use the, uh, the, the, the whole program, the process in the future. Were they intending on eventually monetizing it or something, maybe plugins monetize? I have no idea. But it just seems that they were going, they were going to commercialize at least part of it, which is kind of hard to do with open source software, right? We've seen it with OBS Broadcaster or OBS Ninja. You know, OBS has a lot of forks out there. That's a, a, a for those that video stream, they're very familiar with OBS. And, and, and this is, this could be similar where you just see a lot of forks and some are better than others. Some have uh, better privacy protection than others. And, and that's uh, the state of things where everybody's trying to protect their privacy and protect their own information. It's just been a big thing over the last couple of years. And it, with all the data leaks and everything, I don't blame people. And even though with the clarification, it seems mostly harmless, it's still information that I don't want anybody to be collecting on me as I'm using an open source uh, software service, right? Offline and, too. Yeah. Yeah. Offline. I checked my version. I think I'm on version 2.0.4, which I think the version that they're talking about is 2.4.2. So I'm, it's I'm 2.4.2, uh, is the last one from what I could see that was before, uh, they were acquired by Muse. Okay. So if you have 2.4.2 or earlier, and you're concerned about this privacy stuff, then just keep on using what you're using, at least for now. And like I said, I've been using 2.0.4 for quite a long time and haven't had a need for something else. I realize that Audacity has evolved. I realize that there's more capabilities that have come in to newer generations on my laptop. I think I have a new generation, but I guarantee you it's not 2.4.3. It's probably 2.3 point something. So yeah, it depends on what you want to do. If you want to look for another DAW, look for another DAW. If you want to keep on using an earlier version, if you want to look for a forked version, uh, stay tuned. We'll be talking about it. I know it's going to be talked about in our Discord service. So this is going to be an ongoing communication, ongoing conversation over the next few months and possibly years as this whole thing comes to level out. And I know that people that come upon Audacity months from now, two, three months from now, they're not going to know about this and they're just going to download it and they're going to go with it. They're going to use it for months and they're going to say, hey, look, you know, I've been using it, no problem. But the people that have been around for a while, like us here on Better Podcasting, will know that there's just this large community out there that has a thing against privacy information being collected by Audacity and then shared with different governments throughout the world. Right. It's not just like the U.S. government, not just the Europeans. I mean, Russia has been cited. I think China has been cited as well. So this is around the world. This is not just the United States or Canada. So if you're uncomfortable with that for whatever reason, even the United States and Canada, then, yeah, maybe Audacity is not the service for you. So we'll keep an eye on this, but we definitely wanted to mention this today. Let's go ahead and move on to our better pod back. This is where we here at Better Podcasting turn the show over to you as we run through some of your feedback. We call this segment Better Podback. 
We had a Twitter question come in via Pod Rev Day, and it was retweeted to us by Rob Stats Guerrera at Stats on Fire. Need to get a webcam slash light for recording podcasts. Any good recommendations? Question mark. Well, first of all, I'm assuming you're talking about some sort of video podcast and not just like an audio podcast, which let's not get into the definitions of <laughs> things, but I'm just assuming you're talking about recording a video podcast. Uh, for that, first of all, I will encourage you to Google three-point lighting mm-hmm. just to make sure that you're not just, you have one like bright light right in front of you, like a ring light or something like that. And or or your cell phone or whatever, you have a single light source that's going to create shadows, which might not be bad depending on what kind of look you're going for. But just know that if you want to get rid of as many shadows as possible, you're talking three point lighting. And honestly, Stephen, with both you and I, we have determined that our monitors are actually a light source to count yeah. in that. So maybe your monitor or your multi monitor configuration could be considered a light source. The other thing I will say with these ring lights, they're they're good in that if you want to minimize profile for your recording and you have like a singular webcam or a cell phone that you want to plop in the middle of that ring light. Yeah, but I guarantee you, you're going to see it in your eyes. Mm-hmm. If you have glasses, it's going to reflect on your glasses, no matter what kind of non-reflective glasses that you have. Uh, I've been looking straight at ring lights. Uh, I, I was, there's a ring light up at the lake that I was looking into and I was looking back at my eyes going, oh my gosh, this is, this is great sci-fi because my, <laughs> my, I really enjoyed the way my lights, my eyes light up, light it up in there. But that's the sort of thing you're going to get with a ring light. So I would, if you do have a ring light, if you do consider a ring light to be uh, a, a source of light, uh, place it in a three light configuration three light source configuration so you're not just getting one you're getting multiple now what is a good light i would say something well it really depends on what kind of lighting you're going for but i i go for that 500 or 5000 to 6000 k in terms of the color for the light and uh generally it's a 100 watt equivalent in each of the areas but most of the lighting that i do is within almost an arm's reach so within six seven feet and not necessarily across the room. If you're going across the room, you have to worry about light bounce, just like you have to worry about sound bounce and that sort of thing. So there's a, it's, it's not an easy question to answer. There's a lot of different factors. I will say to at Stats on Fire, if you want to have a more lengthy conversation, please let us know what your particular setup is, and we'll be able to make some more specific recommendations for you. But just for everybody listening to better podcasting, uh, lighting is a complex issue, but it's also it's simpler than you think, but it's more complex than you think. So, like I said, just Google three point lighting and you're well on your way to having better lighting than you were before. And if you're um, sort of a talking head type video and you're fairly close uh, for webcam wise, they're Back in stock everywhere compared to this time last year, C920, C922, those are still our go-to recommended webcams. Um, I've tried some other things since then, haven't been really as impressed with them. I, I think the C920 and the C922 are are still worth its money. Keep in mind, they are only 1080. However, uh, you should also consider where people might be watching your show and do you, and the extra space that's required for 4K and stuff like that. Still really happy with both of those there. Either one should be pretty good. And moving on in Discord, we had a bunch of responses back to a question we had about doing podcast giveaways with the intent to grow listenership. I mean, there was a bunch of people that chimed in and they basically echoed everything that we had experienced. So it was really good hearing confirmation, a little bit of confirmation bias, I guess, but confirmation (laughs) from a similar podcast. So I'll start out with Damien, the DM. He's over on the Aurelia pod, also on the guineageek.com network. He said, reminded to come back to this after the episode release. We have tried a few giveaways that didn't go well for us. Our last one was a pretty high dollar, $125 retail item that we were trying to get some social media spread for. When that failed, still have the item. It's in its plastic wrap on my shelf. We just stopped doing giveaways. If I wanted to do something like that again, I will just look at advertising. And and to that, I I will say that, yes, I think $125 for a hobby podcast is probably a bit much. If we wanted to do a giveaway, we'd probably do something that was a little bit less 
uh, expensive, like a, one of those combination USB XLR microphones or something like that, just to help somebody get started, because that's kind of uh, sort of the premise of better podcasting. But uh, to get better listenership, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I would go $125. If I had $125 and I was going to spend it on my podcast to try to get more listeners, I would look at some sort of promotion campaign. And by that, I mean like an ad somewhere. We also had original waffles from Play Comics say, I've done one giving away the comic that a guest wrote. I was dumb, though, and didn't give clear entry instructions. I told them in the show notes to let me know that they read the show notes and on social media just said that it would be a really good idea to read the show notes. So basically no real confirmation of growth there. Um, definitely, you got to think things through. And how do you do that? Um, that? That's really tough. I would say if you're looking at getting listeners to your podcast, you probably don't want to contain a giveaway just solely within your podcast. You'd want to get reach outside of your podcast and you want to post on social media. You'd want to get it out there in in uh, whatever community that is out there that you are covering. In this case, comic books could be something like Reddit, could be a Facebook group. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> it, it, it could be, you know, wherever there is comic books, you might want to put an article out there that might get some traction, maybe on Medium or something like that. I don't know. But just to have it within your show and within your show notes, I don't think that's going to give you the result that you're really looking for. And I think Chris, our original waffles, ran into that issue. Unrelated to this, uh, we had someone ask the following. It was John S. Badger. He said, does anyone use headliner.app or anything of the like to promote their show on social media? This also brought a very interesting conversation. We had current from the Lock Sportscast say, I started using it because I switched my host to Fireside and they have some good integration with Headliner. I really like using it, at least on desktop. I'm not a fan of the mobile interface for trying to select or trying to select a section of audio. And Damien, the DM also said, I've used it before for making podcast promo for TikTok, but not seen a huge return on it. And this is something to keep in mind. Randy Walker also said we use it for a while, but didn't seem worth the effort. It's a cool product and makes nice clips, but they didn't end up bringing more traffic or engagement. And original waffle said pine hat. Pinecast has some integration, but charges a dollar for it. So with all this, keep in mind that what you are doing is you're spending additional time to create, to select that portion of audio. And then you are trying to send that out to everywhere to get some sort of engagement back. And this sort of promotion, I think works better if your audience promotes it rather than you promote it. Like if you have fanfic going on for your work of art, that's the ultimate uh, form of flattery, really. And this is the sort of thing. If somebody takes what you did, if they take a clip of what you said or quotes what you said, and then they send it out to others saying, hey, this was really neat. I really liked it. That's the promotion you're looking for. For you doing it for yourself, by yourself to get it out there, to send to your normal listeners, which are on your social media accounts anyway, I don't necessarily think that you're going to get the same sort of return on investment in terms of time. And that's what we're talking about for hobby podcasters and time as you would from anything else out there. And, and I used to do it for clamor I, I did it, uh, for the, the waves, you know, the, the little wave things that come on, uh, w- with the moving pictures or whatever on, on, uh, you could send out to Instagram or whatever. I've done it before. It's neat, but it just doesn't get. The sort nobody cares if they're mm. watching a video on Instagram, they want to see something funny, something cool, something under 15 seconds. They don't want to listen to the pontifications you have over the course of 30 seconds. Just not the way that social media is working anymore. We're a very ADD society when it comes to that. So th- that's SP's take on, on things like headliner for professional podcasts or podcasts that have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of listeners might be worth the effort might generate some buzz within the audience, but for a hobby podcast, it's got your average listener base of a hundred, 150 listeners. I don't know if it's really worth it. Yeah. I, I like to think of things like this as basically sales pitches is what, what it is. It, it's like if you were working at a car dealership, you are pitching to way more people than your closing of those sales. That, that's the nature of car sales is, 
You talk to way more people than you actually sell cars. And this is what you're doing there is you're you're selling your podcast or pitching your podcast to a bunch of potential listeners. And maybe every now and then you'll you'll close that sale and you'll have someone come over. But you got to pitch to a lot of people to get that one. So I think that that's sort of what these sort of things need to be considered. And if you're okay with that, then then you should be okay with that. But you need to have the realistic expectations. It's, it's not going to be a one-for-one one thing. You put it out there, someone listens, and they go, oh, I'm going to subscribe. It's just not going to happen. The better indication of engagement is literal engaged conversations that you have on mm. social media. If you're going to send this on on social media. Now, with all that said, I do believe in promotion. I think yeah. promotion is the key to growth of your show. It's just, I don't know if an app like Headliner is really going to enable that. I think it's great. I think it's neat. I, I like the capabilities that weren't around when we started 10 years ago, but at the same time, that's an awful lot of work still for maybe not a lot of effort. So maybe you want to focus on other things like uh, better content or uh, better uh, microphone presence or, you know, work on yourself, work on your podcast rather than try to promote to people that might not want to. Heck, here's the worst case scenario. They see that you post a bunch of these clips and they go, nope, uh, hide, mute, delete, unfollow, mm. you know, whatever it's, it, it happens, right? When, when you get to be too much of a, uh, expert on something or you, you throw too many, uh, posts out there within a given time period, like one a day. Okay. Three a day, eh, depend. I might, I might put you on the slow roll. Then, when once every hour, I'm gonna unfollow you. There's no, there's no need for me to follow somebody that's gonna tweet or post or uh, Instagram or put your story out. That, that's another thing. There's people that live on the on these like stories on social media, and that's great if you do. That's just a whole different generation. I'm an older guy, and I, I take a look at the stories and I go. Unless I'm really, 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 really interested in the content that you're posting, I don't have time to go through that. So, nope, I'm muting your stories. It's just the way things are. But what successes have you had? What sort of things are you saying right now? SP, you're a old, old geezer I, I there. I am old, yeah. Go ahead and let us know by emailing podcast at betterpodcasting.com or better yet, why don't you come to our Discord? to betterpodcasting.com slash discord. We'd love to have you come over there and tell us what successes you have had. But that's going to take us to the end of the show. Before we go, I'll just remind you, we are part of that Gunna Geek Network that we mentioned. Lots of great podcasts over there, including, I, I will give him a special shout out right here, right now. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, which is the podcast that SB does that he mentioned earlier, covering the Marvel television series, well, Disney Plus television series, Loki. I have been watching Loki. It's the short run, but uh, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's got some awesome content that just keeps you hooked, wanting to see more Loki. So uh, good job, SP. Thank you. Thank you very much. And and one of the other podcasts that I love to do is another one that you produce, Stephen. It's the GunnaGeek.com show. I talk space stuff on there, not because space is the only thing that I'm interested. I am a rocket scientist. But there is so much going on in the world of space right now. We have space tourism that's starting up just later on this month. It's literally starting this month for the, the first time in, in years. It's been worked upon for decades, and we're finally going to get it in July of 2021. Hopefully, if everything goes well. So we got that. We've got ships that are going to go to other planets again, or at least the moon again coming out that will be launched later this year. And it, it's just an exciting time. You got space telescopes that may or may not be going up or may or may not be working. There's just a lot going on in space. And I talk all about it over on the guineageek.com show, whereas Steven and Chris get to lay back and talk about the fun stuff like video games, entertainment, tech, that sort of stuff. And I'm like, oh man, if I had time to talk about that stuff, that would be great. But I get all my techie and game news and stuff from them over on the guineageek.com show. So Swing by the guineageek.com show. We normally record Monday nights at 8.45 p.m. Eastern, 5.45 p.m. Pacific time. And we talk all about those subjects that I just talked about. It's a fun time. We love to do it. And that's why we do it. We, we love talking about it. 
So for episode 254 of Better Podcasting, I'm Stephen John Drew saying I think SP is going to create a fork of Better Podcasting. I'm SP saying we already created a fork. It's called Better Podcasting Live Chat. See everybody next week on Better Podcasting Live Chat. Bye. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew of Gunna Geek Productions. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we hope to see you again next week.